1: Icepick 3 PC is out in the wild and scooping up Android IP addresses. Shin Bet warns of influence operations threatening Israel's April election. German authorities are pretty convinced their doxing situation is the work of a lone, disgruntled student. OXO may have suffered a mage card infestation. Dark Overlord's labor market play. Facebook sharing. Internet autarky. And did Kaspersky finger an NSA contractor to NSA for mishandling secrets? From the CyberWire studios at Datatribe, I'm Dave Bittner with your CyberWire summary for Wednesday, January 9th, 2019. The Media Trust offers notes on Icepick 3 PC, a malware strain now circulating in the wild. It targets Android devices mostly, and it's of particular concern to publishers and e-commerce sites. The criminal innovation here, the Media Trust says, is that the malware automates pulling affected devices' IP addresses from them, which facilitates further exploitation. According to Haritz and other sources, the head of Israel's Shin Bet Intelligence Service has warned that an unnamed foreign country intends to interfere with the country's upcoming elections. The country's unnamed, but the hooping and hollerin that surged in response to the remarks, made recently on TV, leave little doubt that Russia is the usual suspect. Security firm Checkpoint has reviewed the various sorts of gambits to expect. They're mostly influence operations, and they follow the playbook used in other engagements with Western elections, mostly in the U.S. Fake Twitter accounts, bogus warnings that you won't be permitted to vote, so you may as well save yourself the trouble, and so on. Authorities were quick to assert that Israel could take care of itself, thank you very much. Their security service said in an unusual public statement, quote, The Shin Bet would like to make clear that the state of Israel and the intelligence community have the tools and capabilities to identify, monitor, and thwart foreign influence efforts, should there be any. The Israeli defense apparatus is able to guarantee democratic and free elections are held in Israel. If you take these warnings as matters of a priori possibility, then they might do some good. After all, letting tweets or Facebook posts determine your voting— is to say the least unwise, as anyone who underwent Operation Birmingham in the U.S. is likely to reflect. Sadder but wiser now. A positive bit of advice? Beware of emails bearing attachments. Just ask the DNC. It's also worth pointing out that while a priori possibility, even a priori probability, can be a good source of healthy skepticism, it's an unsure guide to attribution, as the arrest of that student in the German Land of Hessen in their doxing case illustrates. Not everything that looks like a state-directed attack is necessarily a state-directed attack. The BKA, Germany's Federal Criminal Police, told InfoSecurity magazine that the suspect isn't in custody, but that's normal given the country's laws on pre-trial confinement. They do say that he's admitted the crimes he suspected of and said that he acted alone. Their investigation, the BKA says, leads them to the same conclusion. We now return to ordinary cybercrime. The kitchenware company Oxo's recent breach is now being called a Magecart infestation. They issued a warning letter to customers late last month. Magecart has been making a pest of itself on a number of sites in recent months. If you've been shopping for a new car recently you may have been surprised to find the array of upgraded automated features that are commonplace in the auto industry's offerings these days. Active cruise control, lane departure warning systems, automatic braking systems, all made possible by networked sensors and processing power within the car. Dennis Cosgrove is a principal at Booz Allen Hamilton, and he shares his views on what direction automotive automation is headed.
0: What's changing now is the level of connectivity that's coming into the vehicle and what that enables. Uh, And at the same time, uh, autonomous features that we hear a lot about. So obviously there's a future of sort of full autonomy, um, but there are significant milestones along the way around driver assistance, collision avoidance, um, and other autonomous features that are really important for the industry. There's an interesting era that we're going to enter where there's going to be a mix of vehicles and capabilities on the road. And so drivers are going to have to remind themselves, depending on what vehicle they're in, that they don't have, you know, side assistance, right, or they don't have lane assist or other items that they might be used to in other vehicles. And in a way, that's a, an analogy also for where the auto industry finds itself, um, both with technology and securing that technology, is that there's a lot of current capability. There's also legacy systems on the road. And then there's vehicles that are in the design and early stages of production now that, that are even more advanced. And somehow they need to not only present that as a coherent product, uh, to customers, but then also figure out the right way to to secure um, that range of technology uh, that they have responsibility for.
1: Yeah, it's interesting to me that, um, you know, the, the sort of, I guess what I would describe as leading edge vulnerabilities grab headlines, you know, people's ability yep. to uh, to shut down a car or remotely control its steering or shift it into a different mm-hmm. gear or something like that. But, I mean, beyond that, what, what do you think are the actual real wor- world concerns that people will have? Um, day-to-day as these vehicles become more and more automated?
0: Yeah, I think one of the, the challenges we've had in the vehicle cybersecurity conversation is that uh, it usually starts with someone like me describing uh, cars being hacked and driven off bridges or you know, spontaneously combusting or some other doomsday scenario. In reality, and it's a little bit counterintuitive, but the more that the, the, the vehicle evolves and looks less like a traditional car, uh, the more that we are passive passengers uh, and increasing the autonomous vehicles, uh, the more the security scenario uh, and concerns uh, look like conventional issues. And what I mean by that is, you know, a lot of times we think about autonomy uh, coming, uh, advancing, and we consider things like spoofing GPS or or road signs, and so the sensor misreads them. You know, that all kind of makes sense when you're thinking about new features. But what autonomy actually does is, has you sit in the vehicle. Uh, and buy things, right? So payment processing—it uh, keeps a, a a log of where you've been, where you're going, your pattern of life. Um, it may be sort of part of how messaging information um, sort of leads you and and, uh, and uh, comes in and out of the vehicle. You may have you know microphones. We'll have microphones in the vehicle that, that could potentially be vulnerable. These are all more like the normal things that we we worry about: payment information, uh, privacy concerns. Uh, in cybersecurity. And so autonomy is going to change the landscape in automotive uh, in a way it'll actually bring it more into the mainstream from a security perspective.
1: That's Dennis Cosgrove from Booz Allen Hamilton. So you think it's just the good guys who are working hard to get that notoriously scarce cybersecurity talent? Think again. These skids over at the Dark Overlord who rose to a certain cheap level of fame by leaking spoilers to Orange's the New Black, went on a recruiting binge recently, just before they undertook their latest caper, doxing insurance companies in the service of a bogus conspiracy theory about the 9-11 terror attacks. Cyberscoop reports that for some months prior to its recent doxing of insurance firms for 9-11 claim information, the dark overlord was actively seeking both talent and attention. Nothing in their recruiting pitches sheds light to the group's avowed financial motives. Do you want to get rich? Come work for us. That's the job posting the gang used in November on the Kickass Forum, a kind of career builder for cyber criminals. No high-minded appeals to the inner Robin Hood or even the inner Ed Snowden or Julian Assange, who we must observe is nice to his cat and does not dye his white hair. No, it's straight-up mercenary stuff. Any marketer hopes that mind share leads to market share, and it's no different in the black market. It seems that they were looking for the kind of notoriety that might lead to sales of the stolen and, truth be told, not very interesting files they plan to offer this month. The criminal gang's headcount was reduced in the spring of 2018 when Serbian police devoted some attention to the dark overlord's activities. All labor markets face their distinctive pressures. If you find that one of those pressures is the prospect of arrest, consider, you might be the bad guys. More concerns are being expressed about Facebook's access to data being overshared by some apps. Privacy International found that more than half of the apps it tested shared usage data with the social network. One might dismiss this as relatively unimportant SDK data, but in the aggregate, as researchers point out, The data can tell interested parties a lot about a user, including some information that shades into what's protected under GDPR. Vietnam alleges that Facebook is in violation of that country's new, harsh, and autarkic Internet laws. Facebook denies any wrongdoing, wrongdoing under Vietnamese law, one hastens to note. The Vietnam News Agency, an official outlet, cited a finding of that country's Ministry of Information and Communication, saying that, quote, Facebook had reportedly not responded to a request to remove fan pages provoking activities against the state, quote. The violations of the cybersecurity law, which the ministry characterized as serious, included allowing personal accounts to post slanderous content, anti-government sentiment, and defamation of individuals and organizations. Facebook said it didn't do it. A representative said, quote, we have a clear process for governments to report illegal content to us, and we review all those requests against our terms of service and local law. We are transparent about the content restrictions we make in accordance with local law in our transparency report. Three things are worth noting. First, the Vietnamese cybersecurity law deals prominently with censorship and content moderation. Second, Facebook seems to be saying, not that the content is out of its hands, but rather that the content it permits doesn't necessarily violate Vietnamese law. Admittedly, the company's response amounts to a kind of non-denial denial, but it's not a clarion defense of free expression either. Facebook's in a tough spot here. And third, we can probably expect more of this, as the internet seems to be on its way to splintering into a set of national autarkic preserves. It's not just Facebook in Vietnam, either. TechCrunch reports that LinkedIn is bringing its Chinese operations into compliance with that country's user identification laws. Finally, Politico has an exclusive out on the increasingly strange story of alleged NSA leaker and classified data pack rat Hal Martin. That's a pack rat to the tune of an alleged 50 terabytes of secrets, which is a lot to keep in a Glen Burnie shed. Kaspersky is said to have fingered Mr. Martin to NSA after the Russian security firm received some odd tweets from the former contractor. Ironists have noted, and there's no shortage of ironists on the Internet, that Kaspersky did this bit of good citizenship while plenty of U.S. government officials were busy getting the Russian security company kicked out of their networks. And I'm pleased to be joined once again by Dr. Charles Clancy. He's the executive director of the Hume Center for National Security and Technology at Virginia Tech. Uh, Dr. Clancy, it's great to have you back. Uh, We saw a story come by. This was on the uh, Tech Explore website, and it was about researchers uncovering security gaps in the 5G mobile communication standard.
2: Uh, What's going on here? What do we need to know? So within 5G, there's been a, um, a major overhaul of the entire security underpinnings. Uh, They cleaned up a lot of the vulnerabilities that plagued the earlier generations of cellular technologies. Um, And researchers in Europe essentially took the new design for authentication and key agreement uh, in 5G and and built a formal model out of of what was in the standard. They then took that formal model and put it into a model verification tool that then was able to spit out, uh, essentially, things that you may be able to do with the standard as currently written, uh, that don't adhere to some of the standards' design uh, objectives.
1: Now, now, where do we sit in terms of, of deployment? Are, are we at a stage where they can take this feedback and, and use it,
2: uh, or has
1: it, is it too late?
2: It's not necessarily too late. Uh, some of the standards are still in development. For example, the AKA protocol is is currently going through final review uh, within the Internet Engineering Task Force. They may elect to include some of the, the countermeasures, but if you look at the, the two vulnerabilities that were discovered, neither one is, uh, is that significant, in my opinion. Hmm. Um, essentially, the two new things that they discovered, one is that um, if you replay an authentication request to a phone and you reuse an old counter, um, then the phone will respond back. Um, and the phone will use the same numeric response as long as you ask the same numeric question. Hmm. And so, while you don't necessarily know the identity of the phone, you may be able to track that it is the same phone. Uh, so, if you had a, a, a rogue cell tower that was able to implement this, it might be able to tell that the same phone was in the area, uh, but it wouldn't necessarily know who belonged to, whose phone that belonged to. Hmm. The second vulnerability that they discovered is that the um, again, depending on how you define a vulnerability the key agreement protocol uses what's known as, as, as an Im- implicit confirmation. Uh, there is no message that goes from the phone to the network and back to the phone that says, um, I have affirmatively de- uh, computed the correct key, uh, and here is my proof of that, and then a, a response message coming back. Instead, uh, they basically just take the key that was derived and start encrypting messages with it, start securing your data session to the, to the network with it. And if you, for some reason, that the, the key was not properly derived, or you were a hacker who was trying to spoof, you wouldn't know the key, and then therefore that the, the those messages would fail and, and not be delivered to the network. Hmm. So um, there's the potential for someone to try and overwhelm the network with uh, uh, with, with a bunch of, of false authentications. Uh, and make it believe that there are phones that are there that are really not there. But again, it it doesn't lead to the the compromise of any individual user's uh, privacy or or security.
1: Yeah, so it seems like uh, while significant, these are sort of nipping around the edges, I suppose?
2: Correct. Uh, These are the sorts of vulnerabilities that are commonly found in uh, uh, in cryptographic protocols. And um, in many cases, they're... They're acknowledged. They're they're known as, a, as observed as a limitation, but there's typically not proactive uh, set of, of objectives to necessarily fix them. None of them are are fatal flaws that are going to lead to the downfall of, of of the system. Much like we saw with uh, with Wi-Fi in the early days.
1: I see, Dr. Charles Clancy. Thanks for joining us.
2: That's cyberwire.com slash survey to get started. Thanks so much for your input as we reach for the stars. It means the universe to us.
1: And now a word from our sponsor, Zscaler, the leader in cloud security experience your world secured visit zscaler.com zero trust ai